give. The author's going to give in Hebrews 13 some more practical, they're very practical things. I believe the Bible is very practical, and I think that it really is. It's not all just uh, touchy-feely things that have no relevance to life. I mean, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. That's pretty relevant. You know what I mean? It's pretty practical. We need a Savior. And, and then He tells us how to live in this life once we are born again and how to trust Him and how to keep our eyes upon Him and how His people ought to behave themselves and, and how He helps us and how we're to relate to one another and things like that. And so we're going to look at just a few things here. Let's just read 1 through 6. And, and then we'll go back and talk about some of this. So here's just some exhortations. Let brotherly love continue. That's the whole first verse. All right. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember them that are in, the, in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in, in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. That's some wonderful scriptures, amen? amen? And a wonderful exhortation to the body. But basically what we're going to look at here is just a few evidences of the faith. You know, the, the evidence of the faith uh, doesn't produce the faith. The faith in God that's genuine produces the fruit or the evidences. You've probably heard it before. I know we've shared it in Bible study, Sunday school, Foxy's, different places. I said, if, if you were ever arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And it's a pretty sobering thought. You know, you sure hope so. If you're just blending in with the world all day long, it might be hard to get enough evidence to convict us, you know, of, of being born of the Spirit of God. But it says here to let brotherly love continue. And that is, there's different types of love. We know in the Greek that this is the phileo, the brotherly love. And how can we love, James says, how can we love uh, God whom we have not seen if we can't and don't love our brothers who we do see. The, the Christian life, y'all, is not played out in theory and it's not played out in a doctrinal statement. I'm not belittling those things at all, believe me. It's, it's played out in, in, not played out, but you understand, it's lived out in practical, everyday things. God put you around the people He's put you around. He put us in this age in which we're living, in this city, this community, the people you work with, and different things. He put us where He put us. And He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My Spirit is sufficient in you for this climate, this environment, these people that rub you the wrong way. Uh, you know, government things, whatever it may be that are around us. But that's where our Christianity is put to the test. And it's always put to the test. Put to the test in home, in your house. Where nobody else sees you except your, your wife, your children, or so forth. And so that letting the brotherly love continue is part of it. It's part of our walk with the Lord. And then there might have been the temptation. Remember, these people were going through severe persecution, Right? for being Christians, both by the Jews and by the, the Roman world of that day. The, the temptation might have been, you fend for yourself. I've got enough trouble on my own. I'm trying to survive on my own. 
But that's not the attitude of Christ. He's saying you continue to love and be engaged, you know, and love the brothers. Let that brotherly love continue. And so then he goes on to say, and y'all probably have heard this verse, and I haven't like actually thought about it a whole lot. But he says, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. That literally means to be hospitable, okay? To be hospitable. And I think that's, that, that's in, the, in the Word of God. You'll see that word several times. And we'll, we see it in, in Romans where it says, uh, you know, given to hospitality, that we ought to be given to hospitality. So that's the picture that's given. It was a big deal for the Lord how his people Israel would treat a stranger coming through town. You'll read stories in the Old Testament about it and so forth. Or even the story of the Good Samaritan, how they were to, to treat. It was only the, uh, you know, the Samaritan of all the people that, that bent down and helped the man that was beaten and robbed on the road. And he says, go and do likewise. That's, how, that's what I mean by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's important to the Lord. It's not just some, again, warm, fuzzy little feeling. It's important to God how we live that out. So we need to be aware. That's why it says here, uh, be not forgetful. Why? Because we can say amen to this and it can prick our hearts tonight and by tomorrow we could forget about it. Not evilly intending to forget about it. We just literally could forget about it because we're consumed with what's, what's occupying us right there. But it's important to God how we... Uh, treat people, you know, um, to enter, you, you could be entertaining an angel and not know it. That's really what he's saying here. You could be giving some food to somebody. You could stop to help somebody with a flat tire and you're already late and you're in dress clothes and you don't want to get that, you know, dirty changing a tire. And yet you do it and you do it as unto the Lord. And it might be God had you doing that to an angel just to test you. You know what I'm saying? That That is what he's saying here. And so, I want to remind myself of that, but that, that was speaking about hospitality there, and it is important to the Lord. And then he goes on to say, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. He's talking about people who are uh, persecuted for righteousness. Sake. He's talking about people that are bound. Paul spent a lot of his later life in prison, okay? And there are people in our day doing the same thing. Uh, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. And I had to say when I read that and going back and looking at my notes from when I taught this a long time ago, I put wow <laughs> in my notes because I think about the persecuted church and I pray for the persecuted church, but I cannot say that it is on a normal basis touch me to that degree or that moved me to that degree to where it said, I'm praying for them and remember them as though I was bound with them myself. And I don't think that that's possible other than a genuine impartation from the Lord where he would impart that type of love. That's what it is. It's love and that type of burden and concern for they are, they, they are our brothers and sisters, you know, that are being persecuted. And so we're living in this day and age where that's going on. And we happen to be living in a country where for the most part, uh, there is persecution. I'm not going to say there's not. In, in ours, it could be a ridicule. 
you know, or something like that. But in, in a great part of the world where it's actually illegal and it's physical and families are ripped apart. You know, this guy's a pastor of a church. They burn the church down. They take the pastor. His family runs off and they take the pastor to prison. The family doesn't know what, where he is, what prison he's in or work camp or how long he's going to be there. There's no word. There's no, let me go visit him. That kind of stuff happens right now in our day. I know that you know it does, but <clears throat> those are our brothers and sisters. And one day we're going to be around the throne of God worshiping the Lord with them. And they're going to be so happy and content and thankful that they didn't deny the Lord. But we ought to be praying that they don't deny the Lord and that uh, just for their comfort, for their strength, for their faith to be strengthened. Dee said, I didn't watch it last night, but on the, uh, the, the president's address, State of the Union speech last night, there was a persecuted Christian there from North, North Korea that had been uh, escaped into China and then ended up getting out. He was present there, and I didn't hear the remarks that were made. But anyway, um, that, that's absolutely going on in our day. I know that you, you know that it is. And I don't think we're just supposed to sit around and cry and have pity. I think we ought to pray for them. I think we ought to pray for them. If you're looking at our prayer meetings and say, well, I always run out of something to pray, or in your daily prayer life, pray for the persecuted church. Pray for the countries by name. So, Lord, those in North Korea right now that are being persecuted, God, strengthen them. Strengthen their families. Help them to keep their eyes on you, Jesus. And I believe that that's better than just remembering them and thinking about them and getting all, uh, you know, emotional. If God puts, you, puts emotions on your heart, amen, I'm simply saying pray for them. And I believe that's what he's talking about here, to remember them that are in bonds as though we're bound with them. And look, look back, if you're, you're, you're booking Hebrews, turn back to chapter 10 and look at verse 34. And then we'll go back to chapter 13. Hebrews 10, 34. Again, I believe that Paul wrote this book. It doesn't matter uh, you know, if I'm right or wrong about that. We know the Lord wrote it, but it says, For ye had compassion on me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. So we studied that several weeks ago, but he says, you, you had compassion on me and my bonds. He's commending them for this. Don't you know it's a blessing to somebody that is being persecuted, is being separated from their church and their, their loved ones, and it's just them and Jesus and a bunch of tormentors tormenting them to know that they have a, a group of people praying for them. It does, it does matter, okay? It does matter. And so let's just keep moving on. It says marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. We're back in 13.4. In all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And so the word whoremongers basically is, is fornicators. All right. And so we know that God instituted marriage. He just spit, uh, spitting out little, not little, little commands, you know, little instructions and admonitions for the Lord here. And he's talking about marriage. It is a good thing that God has given. And uh, it says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and the two shall be one flesh. God instituted marriage. It's not a ball and chain. It's not a, a bother. It's a blessing. God instituted marriage 
and God knows how to bless a marriage, and it is blessed when it's done God's way. We need to get in the Word of God and find out what's God's way for a marriage to be. doesn't mean every day is going to be like a picnic. It does mean that marriage is blessed, and your marriage can be blessed, and it is blessed in Jesus, all right? Man didn't invent it. Man didn't think up this would be a neat thing, and so we have this legal ceremony called marriage. God instituted marriage, and it's a blessing, Okay, I forgot the guy's name. I was reading it, and I did not have my notes in front of me. I hear his name, Bishop Bishop Latimer. He was a reformer, okay? I guess in in, in the days of King Henry VIII. And King Henry VIII had uh, lived in a a life of immorality, okay? That was, he was known for it. He kind of flaunted it. And Bishop Latimer was a true believer, and he gave the king a present, and it was a Bible, and then wrapped up in the wrapping, the paper that the Bible was wrapped in, he had that verse. He said, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And that's what's what he handed him as his gift. Okay? A guy had a lot of uh, courage to do that. But uh, that is the fact of the matter. God's going to judge that. Nobody's getting away with it. Just like any sin. Society changes and you got this these big revolutions, so to speak, of, of society and uh, how people live and they're casting off restraints, they're casting off uh, morality and so forth and thinking there's such liberty and freedom and what they're doing, it's a lie of the devil. They're bringing themselves in deeper and deeper into bondage, all the while thinking it's a freedom. And they got chain after chain after chain just mm-hmm. clamping down upon them. And they say, we're free, we're free, we're free. And yet the word of God says he's going to judge that. Fornicators and adult and uh, whoremongers and so an adulterous God will judge. So that nobody's getting away with anything. Uh, he'll forgive everything, but nobody gets away with anything. All right, including us as believers. Let your conversation, verse five, be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, "I will never leave thee nor forsake thee." And so. This has to do when he says your conversation. Let your conversation. That's what we've been talking about the last couple of Sunday mornings. We're going to finish that series on holiness, you know, positional and practical. We're going to finish it this this Sunday. But that's what we're talking about, our lifestyle, our conversation. This is Christianity in reality, and that's what real Christianity is. It's Christianity lived out. It's not theories. It's not comparing this theology to that theology and saying who's right. It's a man born of the Spirit of God whose faith is in the God of this Bible who walks by the power of the Spirit in obedience to this. And when we don't, we go to the Lord for forgiveness and we're forgiven and we keep walking and God keeps us all the way through, the, through life. That's our conversation. God left us as born-again people born of the Holy Spirit of God, partakers of His divine nature. Think about that. We have a treasure, an earthen vessel, and He left us here in the midst of people that don't know the Lord and the God of this world, like we talked about this past Sunday. He left us here, and it looks outnumbered. It looks like He left us in a bad spot, but He didn't, because He says right here, it is written, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's coming from Joshua when, when Moses had died and the Lord says, Joshua, you're the one that's going to lead this people over into the promised land. You're going to lead them across this Jordan River. You're going to lead them, lead them into Jericho. You're going to lead them to possess all the possession that, that I have promised them. 
And as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. Fear not, neither be dismayed. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And at the end of Joshua's life, when he was old, he called all the people together and the leaders together. And they had possessed much of the land, but they hadn't possessed all of it. He said to them, I'm about to, to die. The Lord's about to call me home. He says, but you know good and well there has not one, not one promise that God made has failed. Not one. Everything He promised, He did. And He said, there's a lot of land still possessed to possess. Go get it and be obedient to the Lord. But He says here, don't let your conversation or lifestyle be uh, covetous. All right? And I just want to read this scripture. Jesus said, he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Jesus said that. Covetousness uh, is idolatry, the Bible says. My ch children abstain from idolatry, covetousness, which is idolatry. It's not of the Lord. And what it does, it drags the heart away from the Lord. And it sets the Lord's, uh, the heart's affection on on things could be the number of friends you want your covetous more friends more popularity more power more money certainly and all the things that money can buy more of these things and they're not all necessarily evil things but you still you and i can still be and it's in our nature be covetous i want what michael has you know i want what peter has and i want this and i want his height i want his personality i want his athletic ability i want this you know, we're covetous of different things. And it takes our, our heart off the Lord. And it places it on something else. And it's idolatry. Even if it's a good thing. I want my children. How about uh, John and James' mother that said, Jesus, i got a favor to ask. Well, what, what do you want? Could you grant that my sons, James and John, when you come into your kingdom, that one sits on your left hand and one on the right? Now, he, he re, you know, rebuked her, but he really taught them all a lesson. And he said, that, that, that's not mine to give. But, but the point is, that would have been covetous, even after a good thing, to sit at the right hand of Jesus in his kingdom. Well, that's a wonderful thing. They're not wanting to be, uh, you know, all kinds of sinful things and immor immorality. And yet that was covetousness, right? And the, and the, the Bible says many times to beware of that. Don't let your conversation be that way. And... Uh, and Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, we know the scripture for the love of money is the root of all evil. It says the literal interpretation is all kinds of evil. Okay, you couldn't sum up every evil in, in the love of money, but it is the root of all kinds of evil is really what it's saying. And so, again, I just ask the question, is it wrong to want things to you're in this size house and you want a bigger house? Is that in and of itself wrong or evil? I don't believe so. Okay? Or I have this job and I, and I want to get this job. I don't believe that that's wrong at all. We all have to always check our hearts though. Always check our hearts. Is this from the Lord? Is it God's will? Am I going blindly after it because I want it so bad? Is it really what God wants? Is it taking up the place an inordinate place in my heart and life that means out of balance, okay, that it shouldn't have in my life. That would be covetousness, okay? And so we have to, to watch out for those things. It, one one uh, pastor said, covetousness breaks fellowship with God and hinders spiritual progress. Breaks fellowship with God 
Doesn't mean it can't be restored, okay? But at that moment, it breaks fellowship with God and hinders spiritual progress. Paul said he had learned in whatsoever state he was in therewith to be content. He knew what it was like to be abased and knew what it was like to, to abound. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so that is important. He says that in Philippians 4. If you're taking notes 11 through 13, I just uh, referenced it. But he, he said he had to learn that. That does not just happen. It doesn't just happen because you're saved. It's something that's in the school of Christ, basically the school of coming under the, the, uh, the tutelage of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God day in and day out. Day in and day out. I'm not going to be covetous. I'm going to rejoice with Him that rejoices and I'm going to weep with Him that weeps. And I'm not going to be covetous. I'm genuinely going to be glad that you know, Buck got this promotion or whatever it may be. I'm glad for, for his, his, Jesus' sake and for his sake. I'm not covetous of that. And we got to guard our own hearts. And he said he learned to do that and learn to be that way. And let's keep reading. This is a wonderful scripture. Hebrews 13, 6, so that we may boldly say, <clears throat> the Lord is my helper. It's like what we read about King Hezekiah, right? And the Assyrians, the Lord's my helper. When Hezekiah got that note, y'all, he did not turn to his people and say, we've got to come up with a plan. They did have a little plan before this about uh, we're going to stop the water because we don't want the come, them to come to land and think it's a land filled with a bunch of water and then they'll want it even more. He had a little plan. But really, when, the, when, it, when it was at the crisis mode, the crisis situation, uh, Hezekiah turned to God. And the Lord was his helper. And the Lord did not abandon them. And I love it in the Old Testament, we see literal battles and things. And we can relate to that spiritually. It was spiritual as well. But that was 185,000 dead soldiers in the morning. Okay, that were real. And things like that. We're not in that type of day or in our walk with God. We're not Israel. Okay, a physical nation either. We're the people of God, a spiritual people, a royal priesthood. But we can get a lot from that. The Lord's my helper. He spread that letter out in the temple before the Lord. And he said, here it is, God. This is what they've said. There's a lot of truth in here, but they're missing one thing. They don't know who they're coming against. They're coming against a real God and not a statue of stone or gold or bronze or whatever. They're coming against Jehovah, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator of all the earth and the God of Israel. And Lord, they blasphemed you. What are you going to do about it, God? We need your help. And the Lord says, I got it. They're not going to shoot one arrow here. They're not coming into this city. And then by the next morning, they were dead. All right? Aren't you glad the Lord's your helper? I need to trust Him like that, though. I need to trust Him to be that. The Lord is my helper. And He goes on to say two things. He's my helper and... And these go together, but there are two separate things. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And so that is actually quoted from uh, Psalm 118, 5 and 6, almost word for word. But if, if we were living in sin, for example, I don't think we would have that boldness. You know what I mean? At that moment, even though that, that truth is still ours and is for us, even as a believer, but if I was living in a backslidden state or far from God... My, my thoughts are not going to be as bold. My approach to God, it could be. I could be forgiven and, and be restored. I'm just saying, I'm going to probably be in a place where I'm doubting God a lot more. 
he seems a lot more distant, right? He just seems that way. He's not literally, but he seems a lot more distant to me because I have been covetous or I have been uh, worldly or something like that and I, or prayerless for a long time and I've, I've gotten my eyes off of Jesus. I'm not going to have the boldness that someone who's like Paul, who's always with the Lord, walking with the Lord, to just come and say, God's helping me through this. The angel of the Lord stood with me by me this night and told me the ship's going to be crashed. We're going to lose the ship, but not a life's going to be going to die. Remember at the end of the shipwreck? Um, because he walked with the Lord. So I believe that our walk, our personal walk with God, walking near to the Lord, and walking in integrity and uprightly before the Lord is going to give us that boldness. We have the promise of God, but somebody that's living in a backslidden state, it's almost like the promise doesn't affect them. It doesn't help them. You know, you could tell them, you need to do this, this, and this, and God said He'll take care of you, and God said He wouldn't leave you or forsake you. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But it's when we're walking close to the Lord, we magnify the Lord like we've sung about, we're not making him too small in our eyes. We're making him big. We're going to make him the God that he is in his word. Big, okay? And, and great, and ancient of days, and all these things, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who rose from the dead. We're going to make him big like that. And you're that for me today, right now. And so I can boldly say, number one, the Lord is my helper. He's a very present help in trouble. The psalmist says in Psalm 46, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. It doesn't mean that man's not going to do anything. It means that we're not going to live in fear of what man shall do. If you take a stand, let's say that you, I don't think we, we don't have any here in our church, but let's say you were a college professor and you took some type of, and you're a Christian, you took some type of stand for Jesus Christ or the Bible on a college campus. They know that there's going to, be a cost to that. Maybe not how great, but they could very well lose their job. Okay? They could lose not just college campuses. You can think of different arenas where that would be similar. And, uh, but I'm not going to fear what man shall do unto me. There's a boldness that comes through the reality of Jesus Christ in our hearts and in our lives. And the way, he, in the Word of God and the faithfulness He's proved into our lives, and I'm not going to live in fear like that. That may be that God doesn't want you to say anything. It may be that God does want you to speak up, all right, in any given circumstance. But when He does lead you to do it, we're not to live in fear about that. Whatever it is, whatever the circumstance, I'm not going to fear what man shall do unto me. Because man is just man. With them is the arm of the flesh, Hezekiah said. We didn't read that part tonight. But with us is the Lord mighty to save. And which would you rather have? With them is the arm of the flesh. That army of, Hezek, of, uh, of king of Assyria, it could have been 100 times bigger and it wouldn't have mattered. They had 185,000. What if it was 185 million? You know what I mean? It would not have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered because you and God are a majority. If you're with the Lord and walking with the Lord, it does not matter what man's going to do to you or what man threatens you with or how many people are against you and there's a government, there's laws, there's regulations on campus and you can't say this, you can't do that. And if God's leading you to stand up and proclaim His name, okay, then do it and or whatever. I mean, that's just my, 
one of the things I'm thinking about. Whatever God leads you to do, don't fear the repercussions of what man can do. It doesn't mean they won't do it. They may do it, but he says here, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I just know that God doesn't want us to live in fear or in the spirit of fear. I know that he doesn't. And oftentimes we do. We're, we're going to be uh, moving on and, and coming to a close before too long. Let's look at, uh, we'll read two more scriptures. Verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, all right, so he says, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. We might just close with this first, because I, I want us to think about, there's, there's some uh, scriptures in this chapter that we'll get to next week and the following that are similar. Okay, they say almost the same thing. But the point here, we know the Bible teaches as Christians that we are to obey kings and magistrates and those that are in authority over us in a worldly sense. We are. We are to obey them except where we come to where we have to make a choice between obeying God or the government or the king. We always obey the Lord. You stick with obeying the rulers in your society, in your where God has placed you, but you don't ever disobey the Lord in doing so. But that's not actually what this is talking about because he clarifies it. Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God. So this wouldn't be a secular king or a ruler or a government official. He says, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. This is important, y'all. And I believe this is speaking of if it be the pastor of your local church, whoever it is that God has placed, and it could be more than one person, okay? God has placed and given some degree of spiritual authority in your life. Don't despise that. Be thankful for it, okay? Be thankful for it. It's not saying who's better. It's not even saying who's boss or something like that. It's simply saying God does things like that. God has a government. And God has an order of things. And there are people that God has placed in your life spiritually who have spoken the word of God to you that have um, lived a godly way so you can actually watch Jesus in their lives and see how a Christian lives. All right? Be thankful for that. It says remember them. It has to do with an honor and a respect. And uh, who have spoken unto you the word of God. And I think that's very important because there are a lot of leaders today you know, just in general, and I can't say just today, but there's a lot of leaders throughout the history of Christianity, okay, or let's say a, a priest in the Old Testament that wasn't godly, but he had that position of being priest. He was the son of Aaron, right, the Levitical priesthood, for example, or, uh, you know, a pastor of a church that, that wasn't godly or wasn't following after the Lord. We are not in, uh, we're not we don't have the responsibility to blindly submit to anybody and anything because they tell us to and they happen to be in a church or have the title of pastor or bishop or evangelist or whatever. We submit, Paul said it at least two times. Uh, I'll just give the references, but he said at least two times, uh, follow me, All right, 1 Corinthians 4.15 and 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, there were times he made it known, look, I'm your father in the faith. 
sometimes to sort of wake them up and kind of remind them you're following after this Joe Blow over here who's teaching a, fa a false doctrine and you're despising me. Do you remember I'm the one that brought the gospel to you? You know, and have shepherded you and spent two and a half years in your city and discipled you? You know, kind of like, wake up. There's nothing wrong with Paul doing that. But he also would say, follow me as I follow Christ. And so he lived in such a way that his life lined up with the scriptures and with the Bible and with, uh, with Jesus and his love and his truth and the, and the word of God to where he, could literally, he lived it in such a way that he could say, follow me as I follow Christ. He wants that young believer or that believer who's following him, that he, like Timothy, Paul was Timothy's father in the faith, right? I want you to follow me as I'm following Christ. And there's a respect and there's an honor there that should be. But the worship is to the Lord. Paul's worship would be to the Lord. Timothy's worship would be to the Lord. And I'm worshiping each other. He's thankful for Paul. He's thankful for an older believer to, to live the life and to admonish him and write him the letters, First and Second Timothy, when he would get scared or worried and say, hey, don't let anybody despise your youth. You know, you live this life and walk it out. And these things would be an encouragement to him. So, but it's important, it says, those which have the rule over you, which have spoken the word of God unto you. If somebody has a rule over you, but they're not speaking the word of God, then we need to find a different person to have the rule over us. You know what I'm saying? It's not a disrespect. It's just biblical. We, we have to continue in sound doctrine. And that's what the Word of God tells us. Don't put any man in a position that they shouldn't be. Any man or woman or anybody. Lay person, a pastor, evangelist, anybody. Don't put them in such a position to where you're, if they fall, you're going to fall with them. If they go off into some false doctrine, you're going to follow them right along. You know, like these little bobblehead dolls you see in the back of car windows. Just whatever you say. And following off into that, we're not called to do that. It is not what we're called to do. We're called, there's the priesthood of the believer. That believer is, is a king and a priest unto God. Even Timothy was, and if he saw Paul going off, he could do it in a respectful way. He could do it in a Christ-like way, but he would rebuke him, talk to him, go to him in love, and try to bring, bring him back. Okay? So, uh, whose faith follow, considering the end, of their conversation. So you're thinking about, I'm watching their lives, I'm watching where they're walking, I'm seeing how they're living, and, and I want to, I like where he's going. I can see Christ in his life, or her life. I have people like that uh, in my life. You're not going to have a bunch. You're probably not going to have 25. You know what I mean? You might have one. You might have one or two people in your life that are that way. And I would again say, be thankful. You don't worship them. Don't put them up in some some place that they shouldn't be of idolatry to blindly follow. Whose faith follow, their conversation follow, their doctrine, they've spoken the word of God to me rightly, and they've consistently done that, and I've seen them live it out, okay? That's, that's who you want to, to follow and to remember and, and to, to put in those positions. Let's just look at a couple of verses, and we'll probably close with this tonight. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. And while, you, while you're turning there, can you think of some examples in the Bible? Uh, where Korah, for example, in Moses' day, 
And, and they basically led a revolt <coughs> against Moses and Aaron. And saying, what do you, who do you think y'all are bossing us around? We're all holy. Y'all think you're so holy. Paul, Moses never said he was holy. Moses never pointed the finger to himself and say, I'm the man. He always pointed the way to Jesus. But Korah and them, there was bitterness in their heart. And they got the people together and they said, who do you think you are? We're all holy. We don't have to listen to you. You know what Moses did? The first thing, he cried out to God. He fell on his knees right there when Korah challenged and he fell on his knees and called out to God. He was a godly man and he was humble. They should have been following Moses. Amen. He's the one that the Lord called. Moses didn't think too highly of himself. God put him in that position. You know what I'm saying? The Bible says of Moses, I think it's in Numbers, the last chapter, that he was the most meek man on the face of the earth. Can you believe that? I mean, other than Jesus, he's the most meek man on the face of the earth. And God chose him to be ruler. God did it. God put that anointing and that calling upon his life. And the people like Joshua didn't despise it. He loved it. He wanted to be right there with him. And, but Korah says this, and, and Moses hits his knees and begins to pray. And he says, tomorrow by this time, God's going to show who he's chosen. And that's where they had the, the challenge. And the earth opened up and swallowed a bunch of people that had rebelled against Moses because they were really rebelling against God. But let's look at 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. We'll close with this. The elders which are among you, I exhort. So he's speaking to those that would be rulers in the church. They could have been pastors. They could have been preaching laymen. But they were had positions in the church that were God-given and God-ordained and God-called. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, that would be like material gain, but of a ready mind neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, that's what the, the whole deal is. It's in the light of, hey, look, no matter how much God exalted Moses, and then later Moses dies and it's Joshua or King David, or whoever God promoted and exalted on this planet and used for his glory, he does lift people up for certain hours and times for his purposes. There's always a chief shepherd, and the best of men is still a man. And the best Christian man who's born again and serving God is still a man. Keep your eyes on Jesus, okay? And he says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, that's Jesus, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And so let's just close with that uh, scripture tonight and uh, take a few minutes to pray. I really want to focus more I just believe the Lord would have us to pray some more for a few minutes before we go.